Turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. What a blessing to be here today. Uh, a lot of places we could have been, amen. Uh, a lot of us, if they'd caught up with us, we'd have been in jail before we got here, amen. But uh, the Lord kept us on the lamb long enough to get here, and I'm glad every one of you are here today. I trust God's going to do a work in your heart. And uh, I'd like to begin reading in Luke chapter 22, verse number 54. Now, this is a familiar passage of Scripture, I think, to most students of the Bible. And uh, we find ourselves immediately following the arrest of the Lord Jesus. They have taken Him away. The Bible says in verse 54, Then took they Him and led Him and brought Him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld Him as He sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon Him and said, This man also was also with Him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for this another opportunity to be in your house. Lord, it's a, it's a place, it's a meeting place with heaven. It's a place where we hear from you and it's a place where business is done in the throne room of God. And Lord, we are keenly aware of what a high and holy privilege it is to be here. I pray that each and every heart would be touched. Lord, everything that's necessary uh, for a soul to be changed for eternity is in this room. You're present here with us. Your holy word that uh, births faith and salvation in our hearts is here. The Holy Spirit is present here that ministers and works and applies that truth, Lord. And, uh, And the preaching of the word of God is here. The preaching whereby you've chosen to save them that would otherwise perish. Lord, I just believe we've got a recipe here this morning uh, for You to do a work in our hearts. Lord, if there's some that are lost and undone, uh, they may think nobody knows, but You know. You know their heart's condition and they know. And I pray that today they'd be saved before it's eternally too late. There may be some here whose hearts uh, know You and they love You, but they've wandered from You. And I pray that today You'd reclaim them back unto Yourself. You'd draw them into the closeness of Your fellowship. I just pray that everything that happens Lord, would be Your will, would be what You desire, what would honor You and help us to play our part, to do our part. Lord, help us to be obedient in this endeavor and we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice in particular what the Bible says in verse number 61. The Bible says that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. When this happened, the Bible says that Peter remembered the word of the Lord. I want to take a few moments this morning and preach to you on the look of the Savior. What does it signify to you and I that the Lord Jesus turned the very head of God, the very eyes of God, the very attention of God, and looked upon this fallen and broken man at the moment of his sin, at the moment of his straying, his wandering, his disobedience, the Lord took time to turn and look at Peter. Can I just go ahead and give you a little sneak preview before we get into the message? I'm glad he's still looking at us today. Amen? 
I'm glad that the Lord will look down in a sermon that's preached. He'll look down in a testimony that's given. He'll look down in a song that is sung. He'll look down in a Scripture that the Holy Spirit brings to our mind. I'm glad what this tells me is the Lord wasn't done with Peter. He had a plan for Peter. If I had been God, I would have been done with Peter. But you better be glad I'm not God. Amen. And I'm glad I'm not God. Because the Lord was not done with Peter. He turned and looked upon him and restored him back to a place of fellowship. I'm glad even when we're in the shape that Peter is in, the Lord hadn't forgot about us. And there might be folks here today, you know, we've all come to church. And, uh, we had an extra hour, so we all look real pretty today. Somebody say amen. And we're all, we're all here and we're dressed up. We're in the house of God. We, we, we've got our smile on and we've got our Sunday best on. I can't see your heart. I can't really see your life. But uh, you know what's going on in your heart. You know what's going on in your life. God knows what's going on in your heart. God knows what's going on in your life. There might be folks here today that have been walking the same path that Peter was walking and you feel as though your relationship with God is on the ropes. You feel as though your walk with God has dissipated. I'm just here to tell you the Lord's looking at you today. He has a plan for your life. When we read this passage of Scripture, I think we must say a few things about Simon Peter. Uh, Really, this story begins earlier in the chapter before the Lord Jesus is even arrested, before He even goes uh, to the garden. He has a conversation with Simon Peter. He told His disciples that all of you are going to forsake Me, all of you are going to flee. And Peter opened his big mouth, uh, just like I do and just like you do. And and he said, Lord, all may be offended, but I will not be offended. All may forsake Thee, Lord, but I will not forsake Thee. The Bible tells us in verse 31, The Lord said unto him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. We notice some things about the life of Peter between that verse and the verse that we read as our text this morning. I see three things I think worth mentioning. In other words, how did Peter get in this place? We look at people at their lowest and we say to ourselves, how did they ever get there? Can I say this? There may be a day that they're looking at us saying the same thing. Peter didn't wind up in that shape by accident. Uh, He didn't wind up there by happenstance or incidents or bad luck or misfortune. We can read the Scriptures and find out how he got there. For instance, when I read through our text, I I see first off his walk. Verse 54, the Bible says, "Then Then took they him, they took the Lord Jesus and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. The Bible says, and Peter followed afar off. Now when we talk about the walk of a Christian, what we're talking about is their lifestyle. We're talking about their relationship with God. And I understand this is talking about how Peter physically followed the Lord, but it's a reminder to us of how a person gets where Peter was at. I see his walk. Number one, I notice that his walk, it is different and it is distant. Uh, He used to be following Jesus close. In fact, he's following Him so close uh, earlier in this uh, chapter that whenever they go to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and goes to slice a fellow's head off. He refuses to leave the Lord. He refuses to abandon the Lord. He was following close to the Lord. But now here he's following afar off. Can I say this? That uh, trouble begins when we start following Him afar off. 
I notice that Peter is still following Jesus. Am I right? It does say Peter followed, but it says he followed afar off. He's still following him. He just ain't following him like he used to. You know, can I tell you, there may be people in this room still following Jesus. You just ain't following him like you used to be. You may still be going to church. You may still be singing in the choir. You may still be teaching a class. You may still be giving testimony. You may still be giving prayer requests. You may still be here present. And the people that looked at you, they maybe couldn't tell a difference. But God knows your heart. You're still following him. You're just not following him the way you used to. I notice his walk, it's different in distance. Number two, I notice his walk is discouraged and defeated. Why was he following him afar off? Well, I think for a couple reasons. I think he was likely following him afar off because number one, he was fearful. And number two, he was fatigued. They had been up all night. You remember if you read through John chapter 13, 14, 15, there hadn't been no time for them to rest. And he is weary and he is confused. and He does not understand what is transpiring this night. He had just got through telling the Lord that he would go with him no matter what. He had just stop through telling the Lord uh, that He would protect him no matter what. Now all of a sudden here's Jesus being carted off to a kangaroo court to a mock trial and Peter doesn't understand any of it. He's weary and he's worn out and he's frustrated and he is defeated in his walk. You know a lot of times what leads to our demise is when we grow discouraged in the way. Uh, listen, discouragement is a dangerous thing. I want you to hear me this morning. You with me this morning? Uh, you with me this morning? About half y'all are with me this morning. I wish we'd all be with me. Hey, I'm telling you this morning, discouragement is a dangerous thing. It's one of the chief things the devil uses to destroy people. Now, listen, I, I always sort of cringe when we're uh, when we're singing. What is it? The song? Uh, you know, uh, it'll come to me here in just a minute, uh, where it says, "I should not be discouraged." You know what I'm talking about, brother Ken? Uh, whether you do or not, nod like you do. All right. I'll never be discouraged, the songwriter said. I should not be discouraged. You know, we should not be discouraged, but we get discouraged. I don't think it's necessarily so bad, Brother Charlie, that we get discouraged. The problem is when we stay discouraged. There ain't nobody in this room that doesn't get discouraged, but we can make up our mind to not stay discouraged. I think he was a discouraged man. I think he was a defeated man. You know, very often people's uh, demise spiritually takes place when they grow discouraged. They get their eyes off of the Lord and on the things of the world. Like Elijah of old, they quit looking at the God that delivered them and start looking at the enemy that wants to defeat them. And pretty soon they're already defeated before a sword has ever been drawn, before an arrow has ever been fired. The mere fact of their fear has defeated them. Peter is a defeated, discouraged man. And then I notice his walk is dangerous. And it is destructive. You know, we go further on down in this passage and we know how this thing turns out. Peter winds up sitting around a fire cursing and denying the Lord Jesus. You know, he started off walking, but pretty soon he's sitting and cursing. Following afar off always leads to falling off. If you follow afar off long enough, sooner or later you will fall off. Uh, if you try to, if you try to just keep a, a respectable distance instead of a close fellowship with the Lord, if you try to maintain one foot in the world and one foot in Bible Christianity, it won't be long. That foot in Bible Christianity will jump over the line and you'll be out in the world. In the book of Acts, we read about a man named Eutychus. And uh, Eutychus is sitting in the upper window when Paul's preaching. And I like Paul because he was long-winded. And that gives me cover to be long-winded. And uh, Paul is preaching. It gets on into midnight and Eutychus is sitting in a window in an upper story and the Bible tells us how Eutychus falls out of the window and uh, Paul goes down and hey, you think you've got it bad, man. Even dying isn't a good enough excuse to the Apostle Paul to close service. I'm talking about, listen, I, I like to think I'm pretty, pretty hard-nosed, but if one of y'all died, we might just go ahead and break for a few minutes. But Paul don't. He goes down, prays over him, raises him from the dead, goes back up and says, uh, and now point number three. <laughs> 
But you know the great instructive truth of that is this. Eutychus would never fell out of that window if he hadn't been sitting in the window in the first place. When you're just kind of half in, I said when you're just kind of half in, it won't be long, you'll be all out. That's why it is imperative that we stay all in. Uh, we think that we can follow afar off and it won't affect us, but it affected Peter. It'll affect you and I. So I see his walk. And then number two, I see his warmth. The Bible says in verse 55, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, uh, Peter sat down among them. He goes and he warms himself by this fire. You know, that was part of his problem. Not just that he was following Jesus afar off. It wasn't just what he was distant from. It was what he was close to. He was close to that fire. I think that's suggestive to me of the allure and comfort and temptation that the world offers to us. Now, there is a sense when there, uh, in which we could say there's the fire of God. Amen. And we need our soul to be warmed by the fire of preaching and the fire of testimonies and the fire of singing and the fire of prayer. But that ain't the kind of fire that Peter is sitting around. He's sitting around a bunch of lost folks around this fire warming himself. He ain't there to pass out tracts. He ain't there to witness and testify. He ain't there to stand up for Jesus. He's there to warm his hands just like everybody else. You know, when I read that, I find that this is, he's in a confusing location. I don't know about you, but my first question is this, but Ken, what is he doing there in the first place? Why is he even there? What is he trying to accomplish? He is in a strange place. He's in the midst of this hall. This hall would have been at the high priest's house. It would have been a place uh, that would have been marred and marked by corruption uh, and by uh, pharisaical hypocrisy. He don't even belong there. You know, when we start following afar off from the Lord, it won't be long. We'll be in places we have no business being. There are places a child of God has no business being. Just has no business. Uh, a child of God got no business being in a bar. Child of God got no business being a pornography store. Uh, a child of God has no business being in a dance hall. I'm just telling you, there's places a child of God has no place, place no business being. Uh, you say, well, preacher, I'll go down there and witness to him. No, that ain't why you're down there. You're down there to warm your hands at the same fire they're warming them at, uh, just like Peter was. He wasn't there on an evangelistic meeting. Uh, he was in a strange location, and he was among strange people. The Bible says they were sat down together. Uh, the book of John tells us who these people are. It says in John 18, 18, the servants... And officers stood there who made a, uh, a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now stop and think about this. He's with the very people that just arrested his Lord. What, who do you think the officers are? <laughs> That's that same Roman legion that had gone out and had arrested, took him by force, the Lord Jesus. And now here's Peter having fellowship and communion and common cause with the very People, can I tell you something? Listen, uh, we as a as a Christian, uh, we we ought not uh, castigate the world. We ought not be cruel to the world. We certainly ought to not treat the world as though we are just intrinsically better. But listen, you can be a friend to the world, but you as a child of God can't be a friend with the world. Are you listening to me? You can be a friend to the world. Jesus was a friend to sinners, but he wasn't a friend with sinners. And there's a difference. Being a friend with a sinner is uh, doing what the sinner does, so the sinner will like you. Being a friend to him is speaking truth in their life. Because you desire to see their heart and life changed. And I'm just telling you, listen, the, uh, the Apostle Paul said we ought to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Wasn't, in fact, Paul pinned it down, but you, you and I both know it wasn't, the, it wasn't Paul's, it was God saying it. Uh, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will be a father unto you. In other words, separation is a biblical principle. He had no reason to be here. Why? Was he here? He's in a confusing location. Then I notice he's in a comfortable position. So what do you mean? The Bible says this, that, that, uh, in verse number 55, Peter, he sat down among them. 
Uh, can I say this? Listen, Peter started out standing. It's what John says, what Mark says, uh, it's what Matthew says, says that Peter was standing. Uh, but the book of Luke tells us that Peter sat down among them. You may think you're just going to stand, but pretty soon you'll sit down. I'm telling you, there's a progression to this thing. The book of Psalms tells us we ought to walk not in the way of the ungodly. We ought not stand in the way of sins. We ought to not sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, there's a progression to this thing. If we walk with the world, it won't be long. We'll quit walking. We'll just stand in one place. If we stand there long enough, it won't be long. We'll sit down. Preacher, how did Peter get here? The same way you and I get there. He was in a comfortable position. He sat down. He settled himself in. That's a lot of the problem with the church. And I speak generally when I say the church today. It may be a problem with Wall Ridge. I don't know your heart. But I know it's a problem with the church today. Is they're seated in a comfortable position at the fires of the world. It doesn't even bother them anymore. (laughs) That you can go in the average church and it looks just like the average dance hall. don't even bother them anymore. Uh, that you can listen to the music in the house of God, and in most places it sounds just like the music you'd hear down at the rock concert. It doesn't even bother them anymore. I'm saying this, uh, it won't be long in your life or mine if we stand there in the place of sinners, we will sit down in the seat of the scornful. And isn't that where Peter wound up? He scorns the Lord. He cusses the Lord. He denies the Lord. If you walk in the way of the ungodly, you'll stand in the way of sinners and pretty soon you'll sit down in the seat of the scornful. He's in a comfortable position. Then I notice he's in a compromising situation. I thought this was interesting. Verse 56 says, But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire. The maid saw him and recognized him as a follower of Christ. Listen, the world saw Peter in the firelight. If he hadn't been sitting so close to the fire, they wouldn't have recognized him. But you know, uh, the book of Numbers tells us this. We need to be sure, be sure that our sin will find us out. A lost person may be able to fly under the radar and nobody notice, but I promise you this, you have a testimony as a child of God, uh, there'll be somebody come across your... You do wrong long enough, there'll be somebody come across your path that recognizes you, that sees you, uh, and your testimony will be ruined. The devil makes sure of that. He won't let an opportunity like that pass by. He'll make sure he was in a compromising situation. It wasn't, it wasn't just that he was there. By the way, you know John was there, but he wasn't doing what Peter was doing. John was present, but he wasn't sitting by the fire. John was present, but he wasn't fellowshipping with these individuals. Why do we read about Peter? Because Peter was in the firelight. You, you live close enough, pretty soon it'll expose you. So I, I see his, his warmth and then I hear his words. The Bible says this in verse 57, he denied him. This little maid looks at him and says, this man also was with him. You notice what she said. He was with Jesus. And Peter denied him saying, woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. He said, You're of them. You're a part of them. That's your crowd. And Peter said, Man, I am not. About the space of one hour after, another uh, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. In another gospel record, it says his speech betrays him. In other words, I can tell by the way he talks that he's one of them. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. That's pretty startling, isn't it? His words, they bother me, number one, because they're tragic. I mean, listen, the man who had just a few days earlier declared Jesus to be the Savior and God's Son now denies Him as a total stranger. A man that knew God. 
a man that God had spoke to and through. You remember when he says to Jesus, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Son of the Living God, that Jesus answers him back and says, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. I'd say if we looked at someone and God had directly spoke to them something that didn't nobody else understand or know, had expressed revelation through a person, we'd say, That person knows God. And now here's Peter saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. Is it any wonder that later on Peter himself would say that it's possible for a person to get so backslid, so far away from God that they forget that they've been washed from their old sins? I'm saying this. You look at it and say, well, preacher, that uh, person do something like that. They must not have been saved. Well, you go ahead and tell Simon Peter he wasn't saved. But I believe he probably was a saved man at this moment. I understand the theological distinction between the new birth and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But one way or another, I believe Peter was a man that prior to this night, he had had righteousness imputed unto him. He had had his sins forgiven. He had been pardoned by the grace of God. He was just as saved as any Old Testament saint ever was. He is as saved as John the Baptist. And here he is denying the Lord. I'd never do that, preacher. You might. And so might I. If we walk that same path, they're tragic. And then I notice they're treacherous. Did you notice what he said here? The, the first thing he began by denying is familiarity. He said, woman, I know him not. Uh, she says, uh, he, he knows this man inside this hall. He said, I don't know him. Then he despised his fellowship with the Lord. Uh, one of them said, thou art of them. Uh, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. He said, I ain't a part of that crowd. Then finally we see he demonstrated his faithlessness. You say, what do you mean? Well, Mark 14, 71 says this, but he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Peter knew that cussing wasn't the thing that a Christian would do. That's why he did it. He was trying to prove to them that he was not a part of that crowd. They're treacherous. And you know, really at the end of the day, you know what they are? They're telling words. Peter's words just revealed what was already in his heart. Uh, Matthew chapter number 12 says this, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaking. You've never said a word in your life that wasn't in your heart first. Now there may be a lot in your heart that you have never uttered out loud. There's never been anything you've ever said that it wasn't somewhere in your heart. We say, well, I didn't mean that. And it may be true that in the cold light of day, in clear thinking and weighing everything, we, we regret that we say something and we say, well, you know, that's really not true. But it lived in our heart originally. That it was there, there was a germ of that in our heart, and really all Peter's doing here, he's just telling what's already in his heart. So I see how Peter got to this place, but I'm glad it doesn't end there. I'm glad that it says in verse number 61 that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. He turned and looked upon Peter. When God wanted to restore Peter to where he needed to be, here's what he did. The first thing he did, he turned and he looked upon him. Now there is a sense in which the Lord looks upon all of us. His eyes are always beholding the righteous and the unrighteous. He sees what you and I do. But I think it's beyond that because that would have been true for Peter. It would have been enough in that interpretation to merely say God saw Peter. God knew what Peter did. But the Lord literally, physically turned. I do not know how they were situated. I do not know how they were positioned. But in some way Peter could see the Lord and the Lord turned and looked upon him. And that produced something in his life. The Lord does this in your life and mine through the truth of the Word of God. 
That's how He looks on us. He presents us with truth as it's taught, as it's preached, as it's communicated to us, as it's testified of, as it's sung about. That's how God looks upon us. And what did it do for Peter? I noticed three things. Let me mention them and I'll be done this morning. First, I noticed that it brought a remembrance to his mind. The Bible says Peter remembered the Word of the Lord. You know, part of the reason that the preacher preaches and the singer sings and the the person gives testimony and praise, you know, part of the thing that God is doing in putting us under the Word of God is He's trying to bring things to our mind that we already know, but that our flesh has forcibly forgotten. It's interesting that later on it would be Peter himself that would talk about writing his second epistle and said that the reason he did it was to stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance. What did this remind Peter of? He remembered some things. Well, first off, it reminded him of his sins. So how do you know that, preacher? Because later on he turns and he repents. I I might say it this way. It did not just remind him of his sins. It brought to reality. It brought to uh, illumination. It disclosed his sins to him. Peter had known that he had sinned, but had the Lord not looked upon him, maybe his flesh would have buried it. Maybe his conscience would have seared it. But when the Lord looked at him, he remembers what the Lord said He would do, and that He did exactly what God said He would do. You know, part of the reason the preaching of the Word of God is done is so that the Holy Ghost has opportunity to bring our sins to our remembrance. Now listen, God's not interested if you've asked His forgiveness, if you have in faith trusted in Him to pardon you of your sins, and I mean as a lost person, if you've asked Christ to forgive you and save you, and I mean even as a saved person, if you've sinned and committed iniquity, but you've confessed that to God, don't confess it to me, I don't want to hear it, but confess it to God, ask God's forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I'm talking about those sins we've not dealt with, that we bury in our mind, that we manage to push out of our awareness. People can go to church for years with unconfessed sin in their life. You hear what I'm saying? You say, preacher, that's not me. What's between you and God? I hope that's not you. Uh, But in a room this size, it wouldn't be surprising to know that it could be true of at least somebody in this room. Uh, You might have had something God's been trying to deal with you about for years, but you've buried that thing. Uh, You've learned how to put on a smile and wear your Sunday go to meet and close and come in and shake people's hands and smile and pretend like everything's okay, but you know it's not okay and God knows it's not okay. And He is bringing to your mind the remembrance of those things. I think it reminded Him of His sins. Number two, I think it reminded Him of the Scriptures. Uh, The Bible says he remembered what? He remembered the Word of the Lord. Now I think this is explicitly talking about the passage we read earlier in the earlier part of this chapter. How that the Lord had warned him uh, that before the cock shall... uh, He says, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. The Lord had warned him prior to that. You know what's amazing to me is that he could get from what verse is it? He could get from verse 34 down to verse number 61 and never once think about what the Lord had said to him. It's amazing to me. I mean, the Lord didn't say, Peter, one day some way down in the far distant future you're going to sin. He didn't say, Peter, maybe one day it may not happen, but one day you might do something wrong. He didn't say, Peter, one day before you die you'll do this. God looked at him and said, Peter, before the sun rises, you're going to deny me. Such is the power of the flesh. Such is the willfulness of the human spirit that he was able to forget to push away. You Listen, how did he remember it? He remembered it because he had forgotten it. You don't remember stuff you ain't forgotten. So he must have forgot it. Now, I don't mean to say if someone had brought it to his mind that he couldn't have recalled that the Lord had said that, but he pushed it out of his mind. 
Isn't it amazing the ability of the human mind to ignore and dismiss the clear, plain truth of the Word of God when it is convenient to allowing, permitting, facilitating us committing sin? Isn't it amazing how when temptation arises. Man, everything we've learned about the Word of God. I'm talking about be sure your sin will find you out. I'm talking about the soul that sinneth it shall die. I'm talking about you'll reap what you sow. I'm talking about all these things that are foundational truths at the very core and fiber of our being. In that moment of temptation, we push them away so that we might commit that sin. But you know what God does when He preaches the truth of God too? I'm not, I'm not saying when I'm preaching. I'm talking about when He's preaching. Uh, listen, uh, you want to know whether it's me preaching or Him preaching? If it's any good at all, it's Him preaching. I'm talking about when He's speaking to hearts. Part of the reason He's doing that is to bring back to your mind the very things He's told you in the truth of the Word of God. We are told all the time that we need some new thing. There's a whole industry. It's always fascinated me, the church growth industry. People write books and write books and write books. Wouldn't you think, Brother Charlie, if, if the books was right, they would have quit writing them? Kind of like those Old Testament sacrifices, right? If they had hardened from sin, they would have ceased to have been offered. Wouldn't you think if they had it figured out, then books would have ceased to have been written? But they just keep writing them and keep writing them and keep writing them. You know why? Because they keep needing to make money and make money and make money and make money. Can I tell you something? What the church needs today is not some new thing. Vance Havner once said we need something so old it seems new. But I would just simply say this. What we need is not something new. It's not a new strategy. It's not a new program. It's not a new ministry. We need to be remembered the truth of the Word of God. We need to have a renaissance, a revival of biblical Christianity and what you and I need in our lives personally in our relationship with God uh, is not some new word from the latest self-help guru. Uh, We need the plain, bold truth, pure truth of the Word of God. We just need God to speak to our hearts. It reminded Him of the Scriptures. And then I thought about this. You know, it probably reminded Him of His standards. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, how He had pridefully sworn that though others would deny Him that He never would. I'm talking about just a couple hours earlier. I'm talking about just like no time earlier. He had said, all will forsake you, Lord, but not I. I'll go with you into prison and to death. I wonder how those words tasted to Peter in this moment. You know what it probably reminded him of? It probably reminded him of the standard that he used to hold and compared it to the standard that he now held. Can I say part of the purpose for which the Lord looks on us, the Holy Ghost applies truth, the truth of the Word of God is preached to us, is to remind us where we used to be and where we ought to be. Somebody's going to say, Preacher, I thank God I'm not where I used to be. I know, we can all go far enough back. We can say, boy, I'm thankful I'm not who I used to be. But can I ask you this? You may not be who you used to be, but are you what you once were? Talking about your dedication to the Lord, your commitment to Him your service to Him. Have you let it slide a little bit? I, listen, I know you're still following Him. I, I understand it. You're, you're still following Him. But are you following Him like you used to? I think Peter probably remembered what he had said. Probably remembered the pledge he had made. It reminded him. It brought a remembrance to his mind. Number two, you know what I noticed? It brought a realization to his flesh. It says, Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Now what's interesting to me is Peter, I believe he really believed it earlier in the chapter. And you can read the parallel accounts in the other three Gospels. This is one of the synoptic stories uh, in the Gospel. It's in, it's in all four of the, uh, of, of the Gospels. And, uh, you know, I think he really believed. 
I think when he boasted and said, other men will forsake you, but I will not forsake you. Other men will be offended, but I will not be offended. I think he really believed that. You know the problem was? He wasn't saying that in faith. He was saying that in the flesh. The preacher, how do you know that? Because uh, he made that statement after the Lord said unto him, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, uh, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. If he had said that in faith, what he would have said is this, Lord, I know it could be me, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to ask you to safeguard me, vouchsafe my soul and my testimony. And Lord, I'm going to be careful about what I say and I'm going to make sure that I'm following close to you. But that's not what he did. He said, Lord, don't worry about me. Worry about Matthew and worry about John over here. John, shifty eyes. Worry about him. Don't worry about me. I'm good. You go ahead and pray for everybody else. Save your prayers for me. I'm okay. I will not fail you. Well, he had learned by the end of that night just what his flesh would and would not do. He had learned, number one, I think, about the weakness of his flesh. You know, the flesh always boasts big. He had bragged that his flesh was strong enough to resist temptation, but he had learned the hard way how wrong he was. Listen, strength lies in our faith, not in our flesh. Our flesh holds only weakness. You remember what Christ Himself had said to him, said the Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. If you're going to serve God, you're going to serve Him by faith, not by flesh. The book of Zechariah says the arm of flesh will always fail us. You may say to yourself, preacher, other people might give up, other people might do that, but I never would. What makes you say that? Is it because you think you're a cut above? Is it because you think you're somehow hyper or super spiritual? i got news for you. There ain't a one of us that couldn't wind up in the ditch before the day is done. Peter would have said it'll never be me. Jesus said it'll be before the day's done. I'm talking about a man went from saying, other men may forsake you, but I never will, before the sun came up. He had realized his flesh was weak. You think that you can withstand being in the uh, fires of the world. You think that you can withstand uh, being in the place of compromise and of sin. There's never been a person. Listen, you know why Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan to put his family there? Because he thought he was strong enough to not let Sodom and Gomorrah affect him. If you had went to Lot in the Old Testament, back in uh, Genesis uh, chapter number 19, if you had went to Lot, and if you had said, Lot, do you want to destroy your family? He would have said, no. If you'd went to him and said, Lot, do you want your family to live in Sodom and Gomorrah? He'd have said, no. If you'd went to him and said, Lot, do you want your family to think you a fool and think your God fake and think your testimony false? He'd have said, no. The Bible says he was a righteous man. The Bible says in the book of Jude, he vexed his righteous soul with their unrighteous works and their unrighteous thoughts day by He was a righteous man. He would have said, no, I don't want that. But he thought he was spiritual enough to live close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Can I tell you something? Abraham was the spiritual one because he knew ain't nobody spiritual enough to live close to Sodom and Gomorrah. You listening to me this morning? He knew ain't nobody. I'm talking about, I don't care if it's good English or bad. He, he, I, read the Hebrew. It says ain't nobody. Ain't nobody spiritual enough to live close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter thought he was close enough to warm his hands by the fire, but he wasn't. You're not. I'm not. None of us are. The world will pollute and poison every one of us if we live within the warmth of his fire. He learned about the weakness of his flesh, and then he learned about the wickedness of his flesh. Peter would have never thought himself capable even of cursing the Lord. And you know, that's what we think. That's why we live that way. That's why we walk that line. That's why we follow afar off. Because we, it is unthinkable to us that we could ever do what the world does. 
we so often look, and I want to be careful with what I say here because I don't want to say more than what the Word of God says on these matters, but we see all manner of reprobates that claim the name of Christ involved and engaged in all sorts of depravity and debauchery. And we say to ourselves, how could they call themselves a Christian and do that? But you know, it could be the right question to ask is, how could they do those things and then be a Christian? Now, I don't know if you understood what I just said. I'm saying this. We make the assumption that somebody's living like that, they must not really be born again. And I'm not sure that's the right assumption to make. I'm saying this. If Peter could go from being the bold disciple, the bold apostle, the one that would go both to prison and to death, to being in this shape, he would have never thought himself capable. What does that say about you and I and how far we could go? I don't care who you are. You look at it and say, it'd never be me. Peter did too. He said, though all men shall be offended because they yet will I never be offended. That night Peter learned just how wicked the flesh is. There, Listen now, there is no limit to what your flesh and my flesh is capable of. There is no limit. Your flesh, we preached about this, I don't know, at some point it all runs together for me just like it does you. But at some point in the past couple of weeks we made the statement that the flesh cannot be sanctified. It cannot be consecrated. Uh, listen, you, you, the part of you that knows God and loves God is a part of you that was dead before you got born again. Uh, the part of you that lived for the world and lived for the devil and uh, did what the world and the devil desired for you to do, that part of you is still very much alive and is no more sanctified today than it was on your worst day. Still just as wicked. That's your flesh. And it's still just as rotten. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said uh, that uh, I know that in me, he said, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He said, but preacher... I've started living for the Lord and I'm trying to do right. And, uh, don't you think that my doing right counts for something? And it does in as much as we're doing it in faith and obedience. But if you're doing it in self-will and self-righteousness, it's meaningless. Isaiah chapter 64 says we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I'm talking about your best 30 seconds. Your be- I'm not talking about you on your worst day. I'm talking about you on your best day. Your flesh is just as wicked as ever it has been. And Peter learned that that night. He learned he learned what Paul would later say when Paul said, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Peter thought he stood. He said, No man will stand, but I'll stand. And before that night was out, he was cursing the Lord Jesus. But we don't leave it there. There's one more thing I want to say. When I read this passage of Scripture, I... I noticed that it brought a remembrance to his mind and it brought a realization to his flesh. But I'm thankful, listen, that in and of itself is not enough. It also brought a reaction in his soul. Did you read verse 62? I know you did when we read it, but did you notice it? The Bible says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. When we read that passage of Scripture, we we have the image, and maybe rightly so, of a broken man going out contrite and devastated by his sin. But before we ever get to that wet bitterly, can I just notice that he went out? Thank God that he went out. He didn't stay by those fires. In other words, when the Lord looked at him, it changed something in him. And I noticed three things that I think are worth noting about Peter. The first, you know what I noticed? I noticed that Peter watched that night. And you say, how do you know that preacher? Because he saw the Lord look at him. He never, I don't know how he was sitting, I don't know what it all looked like, but I know that evidently Peter never took his eyes 
off of the Lord. And you say, but preacher, what you're saying don't compute. You just said he followed afar off. He did, but he's still seeing. Preacher, you just said he warmed himself by the fire. He did, but he could still see him. Preacher, you just told me that he cursed the Lord. He did, but he could still see him. You know what, child of God? I ain't talking to a lost person right now. You know what, child of God? I don't care how far that you go. He can still see you and you can still see him. You may try to run from Him. You may try to forsake Him, but He won't forsake you. You may try to flee from Him, but He'll chase you into the belly of a whale. You may do everything you can to unget saved, but I got news for you. It wasn't you that saved you in the first place anyway. You may be trying to get rid of Him, but you ain't going to get rid of Him. Try as you may. You may be in the very pit and depth of your sin. You may be so broken that you are unrecognizable as a Christian, but still in your soul there is a part of you that can't take your eyes off of Him. He's still your God. He's still your Savior. Like it or not, you can still see Him. I, I, Peter watched Him. And of course He did. You know why? Because he, he, was, he was concerned over what was going to happen to Him. He was troubled over how He'd feel. Of course Peter watched Him. You, you know why your heart's... Because you're still watching Him. You know why? Even though you don't have to be here, you're here today. Uh, because you're still watching Him. You know why you're sitting there listening and cataloging the things in your mind that God's speaking to you about and dealing you about? You know why that altar's starting to look a little warmer and a little better? It's because you're still looking at Him this morning. I'm glad. Listen, I'm glad the Lord looked at Him. But there's something to be said for the fact that Peter was watching Him too. Peter watched Him. Child of God, you may try to get away from Him, but you can't get away from Him. I hate to tell you this, but you belong to Him now. You belong. I, I, listen, I'm glad He belongs to you, but more than that, you belong to Him. You belong to Him. I, 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 listen, I, I never heard of a servant boasting, look at the master I own. It's the master that says, this is the servant that I own. Can I tell you something? Hey, listen, He does belong to you, but the more preeminent truth is, you belong to Him. Prize you made to get away from Him. You're His and He's yours for all of eternity. Peter, Peter watched Him. And then number two, I noticed He went out. He left. He, he, he exited the place of His corruption and His betrayal. Can I tell you something? You don't have to stay by the fire. The world tells you you have to. The world tells you you are so broken, you are so messed up, you are so tainted, that you might as well just stay here and die here because nothing's ever going to change. You know, the devil's a liar from the beginning. He's always lied to men. That's how he controls men, is with lies and manipulation and coercion and half-truth. You know, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You know, the truth shall set you free. It shall make you free. And I'm telling you this, He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. I'm telling you, He came to set you free and to change your life. You don't have to sit by the fire. You don't have to stay in that place of brokenness. God will save you and transform your life. And if you're a child of God already saved by God's grace, you sure enough ain't got no business sitting beside that fire of the world, living in compromise, living in disobedience. You can leave that. You walk in obedience unto Him. I noticed that He watched and I noticed that He went out. Then I noticed He wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Preacher, what can I do? I've already messed up. You can weep bitterly. Now, I'm not saying that an emotional expression is what God's interested in. He's interested in the repentance of the heart. And for Peter, that's how he expressed that that repentance. The, The weeping was merely the outward expression of that inward truth and reality that was taking place in his heart. But what I find is he was a man that was broken over his sin. A wise man once said this, that you'll never be broken from your sin until you're broken over your sin. 
You've got to be willing to receive the truth of God as it's preached to you. You've got to be willing to agree with what God's Word says about you and says about your sin and your condition. You have to be willing to receive that truth. And what God's Word says is you're lost because you've never been born again. You Listen, you're born in a lost condition. You're born unsaved. People say sometimes, well, preacher, I've always been a Christian. Ain't nobody always been a Christian except for Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's always been a Christian. You've either been born again, you've been saved, and your life has been changed, or you have not. And if that's not happened to you, then you sit here lost in your sin. Believe and accept what the, what the Word of God says. Receive the look that God has given you this morning and receive Him as your Savior. Ask Him to forgive you and save you and transform your life to be your Lord, to be your Savior. But if you're a child of God, listen, you too. You say, preacher, what can I do? I've done messed up. You can ask God's forgiveness of it. You don't have to stay by the fire. You can come to Him. He'll cleanse you. He'll change you this morning. Here's the question. What will you do with that look? He's looking at every one of us in one way or another today. What will you do with that look? Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. And I wonder if there'd be somebody in this room that would say, you know, preacher, listening to what you preach this morning, I have to be honest with God and honest with myself that I don't believe I'm saved. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me and save me, or maybe I've prayed a prayer or filled out a card, but my life didn't change, and I really didn't mean business with God. And I don't want to die in that condition. I don't want to leave this world. You know, we're not promised tomorrow. I don't say that to scare you, but it's the truth. You know it's the truth, just like I do. You're not promised tomorrow. And you'd say, preacher, if I'm really to be honest, I'd have to admit I don't believe that I'm saved, but I'd like to be. I want to know. I want to be settled about this. Preacher, I believe I'm lost. I don't want to be. Please pray for me. Before you raise your hand, can I tell you this? I won't embarrass you and I won't call your name. I won't embarrass you for the world. All I want to do is be able to pray for you. So I won't call your name. I won't embarrass you. I won't make you get up and say a speech, anything like that. I won't approach you. All I want to do is be able to pray for you. But you'd say, Preacher, I believe I'm lost. I don't want to be. Would you slip your hand up where you're at? Nobody's looking around but me. I see that hand. Uh, Who else is there? Say, Preacher, that's me. That's me. Is there anyone else? I see that hand. You can put your hand down now. Can I tell you something? And I I wouldn't say anything to betray who that person is, but just speaking to you, and I see that hand as well, speaking to those individuals that raise their hand, you now have a choice to make. You're either going to leave this place in the same lost condition you came in, or you're going to come to the Lord, come to the Savior. We can take a Bible and show you exactly how to be saved. Uh, But chances are you probably already know. We've preached it in the message. You have to confess yourself a sinner. And ask Jesus to forgive you and save you, believing that He is who He says He is, the Son of God that died in your place and rose from the dead. And ask Him to forgive you and save you. He'll do that this morning. He'll save you. I promise you He will. But more than that, He promises He will. But you have now a choice to make. Will you come to Him this morning? As she begins to play, the altar is open. If you'd like somebody to come pray with you, why don't you slip out of your seat right now? We'll have somebody, if you're a gentleman, we'll have a fellow pray with you. If you're a lady... We'll have another lady pray with you. And we can take a Bible and show you how to be saved. You don't have to leave this place wondering. You can come right now. We'll take a Bible and show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. It's your choice, though. You have to make the decision. Nobody can make it for you. But I want you to do that right now. If you want to be saved, if you're willing to, would you slip out of your seat? You'll take that first step. God will help you with the rest of it.